Really? Yeah. Really? He's like, well, you never eat a pie in prison. Pie in prison. I'm Lucy Vincent, and for the past four years, my life has been consumed by prison food. Over the next eight weeks, I'll be guiding you through the UK prison system's fractured food programme with a little help from some of the people who've lived it, eaten it and cooked it. You're probably wondering why a 28-year-old with no previous convictions is introducing a podcast about prison food. In 2016, I launched Food Behind Bars as the UK's national campaign to improve prison food. Now, in 2021, having secured our charity status, we're working with prisons up and down the country to help make people's lives better through food that nourishes the body and mind. From Second Window, welcome to Food Behind Bars, Season 1. We're going for eight episodes as we look to unravel the story of how an inadequate prison food system has come to be, how it's affecting us all, and what happens next. I'm Lucy Vincent, and this is Episode 2, Inside Outside. Josie, um, post lockdown, and it was a pretty sunny day. We met for a coffee before. In fact, I think I had a almond croissant, which I ate half of and then put it in my bag and never ate the rest. Probably found it a week later, which I do very um, oh, regularly. And we headed on over um, to Josie's, and actually, you know, such a gorgeous house with this kind of kitchen at the back. And you know, knowing Josie in the way that I do feel like the way that it looked and it was decorated with her rugs and little light fittings and things like that was just very much very much her actually her kind of personality in her house um yeah, i think people have preconceptions of of people who go to prison and and people's loved ones of who have whose husbands are in prison and actually you know josie's the first one to admit that she is not your typical prison wife sit down chat in a different room yeah just because yeah. of the acoustics yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, front room whatever's sort of if, have you got any carpeted rooms I've got a room this is Sam work. by the way he's my producer <laughs> and you might hear him in the background moving things along from time to time right back to Josie her husband Rob has been in prison for four and a half years there was a press embargo on Rob's trial and so he was actually he was sentenced the day of the Brexit result it was the biggest news day in, in history, history, pretty much, since the war, probably. Mm. Three weeks before, the press embargo was lifted. And so, whereas when he got um, convicted, there was no press. Mm. So there was just us and our grief about what had happened. And um, uh, Rob didn't do what he's in prison for. And then suddenly the first pressings came out and they were all based on basically HMRC press releases. And Because what happens when you lose is that the entire prosecution story becomes true. Mm. And, and what came out into the press just wasn't true. It just, it just wasn't what happened. And I was so shocked by what I was reading. Um, and it was just sort of such lazy journalism. Mm. And I was just so frustrated yeah. by the unfairness of it. And I wasn't used to it. Mm. You know, I'm like a middle-class woman, I'm used to things basically being quite fair for me, you know. My, my, the way I was parented was quite fair. My parents weren't unfair. Mm. School wasn't unfair. 
you know if something terrible happens to me I complain to someone and it gets it, it it's something happens because I know how to complain because I've come from a group of society that has a voice mm. in prison obviously but a lot of people in prison are used to things never ever having been fair, unfair for them mm. and I wanted there to be a place where if someone was interested that they could read the story from our perspective. Josie runs a blog called Prison Bag, which she started writing not long after Rob was sentenced. Josie's husband um, was in prison for a financial crime and they are not the type of people that you would ever expect to be impacted by the prison system. Well, I think Josie opened my eyes to the painful inequality of the justice system and the fact that we think it's something that's hidden away from most people's lives when actually it's something that can affect everyone's lives. You know, something about it just doesn't feel fair. And Josie's experience of her husband's trial um, and information that was coming out that she thought was false, that doesn't feel fair either. And for Josie, she, you know, her way of dealing with, with this was pouring pouring this anger into into words. I guess that's also one of the reasons that I wrote is because I just think, God, if like, I'm really lucky, I've got a house, I've got a job, I've got really supportive friends and family. He's been convicted of a crime that, although unpopular because it's a money crime and that's very unpopular at this point in history, he no one's dead or stabbed or mm-hmm. anything like that. If If I can't speak about this, who can? Mm-hmm. And if I can't get through this... Mm. Who can? Mm. I've been reading a lot about... Because you've spoken a lot, he's been coming out on Rottle and... Rottle, by the way, stands for Return on Temporary Licence. It's where prisoners at the end of their sentence are able to participate in activities outside the prison gates, whether that's working in the community or spending the night with family. You've had weekends together mm. and, and things like that. Mm. And I loved... Because um, we were talking about food before we got here and your Christmas day and the whole pie blog post. I thought... <laughs> And I just thought, and I'll let you explain it in a minute, but I think what was so interesting about that is, and again, you, you think of prison food, you think of the the impact of food in prison, but what happens when they come out of prison? You know, how, how have their diets changed? Are they eating differently? Um, and that just like some, summed it up. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want to explain what happened with the pie. <laughs> I'll explain what happened with the pie. I mean, what it is, you're in prison, and if you're eating prison food... There is, you know, very, very little nutrition in that. And so if you've been in prison for a long... You can, you can cope on bad nutrition for a few years or whatever, but especially, you know, Rob's um, in his late 50s. If, you, if you're not getting any nutrients and minerals and vitamins in your diet, your teeth are going to start to go, your skin's going to go, um, your immunity's going to drop, all this stuff. We know this, this is not... This is not... No, it's not undocumented. And, um, and so you're kind of hanging on and he's trying to cobble together nutrition from wherever he can get it. You know, a handful of rocket from the, someone who's working in the gardens, um, eggs in the cattle, whatever, wherever he can get nutrition from, he's trying to pull it in. And so, you know, when he comes home, one of the things, we, you know, he's trying to do is just is eat and eat well. And of course, there's all that sensory deprivation. So... He hasn't tasted anything that tastes good for for such a long time. He, he's had no pleasure really, mm-hmm. apart from the sort of laughs that you you know, and the, and the friends you make and the life you make for yourself. But in terms of you know, again, no sex, no touch, nothing nice to eat, nothing to drink, and so he's there's such a pressure on food 
and um so what you know he want every every meal should be good it should be yummy and nutritionally balanced and, and i'm trying to do christmas and i'm trying to wrap presents and i'm trying to like baste a turkey and so christmas eve i think you know we're gonna have a pie minster pie that's that's a pretty damn good pie a pie minster you know that's, that's a fine pie any man should be happy with a pie minster pie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some peas on the side. It was really, it's gonna be so quick. I just shove them in the oven, do the peas, and then I can get on with making the red cabbage and the, like making this glorious dinner that I'm gonna make for Christmas Day because of course I'm gonna try and do that. Mm. And so I serve this thing up, and she's just like, pie. Yeah, it's like, hmm, uh, really? She's like, uh, yeah really he's like well you never eat a pie in prison i mean you never want to eat anything where you can't see the constituents of which it has been made you never want to eat stuff where you don't know what it is you, you want to see that it's a chicken leg it wants to look like a chicken leg it does not want to be bits of chicken cut up because you know and i'm just like he's like oh darling you're working so hard though and how you know i should can i help you wrap i'm just thinking just eat the fucking pie just eat the pie and let me do the wrapping. I think this idea of sensory deprivation is so important. And Josie explains it really well, you know, from the kind of perspective of, of having a loved one in prison. I think we think a lot about the impact that prison food has whilst people are living in their sentences. But actually, what, what we're not thinking about is, is the long-term effects of that. And, you know, second to that, the effect that it's having on the family. I mean, here's Josie presenting something, you know, with her best intentions and, you know, it's going down like a lead balloon. And that's not really to do with her husband. It's it's to do with his tastes and how they've changed and how his experiences of prison food are affecting how he eats outside of prison. Well, he was quite lucky because he has somehow found himself or, or was instrumental in creating wings where they... Um, managed to get a kitchen in there um, and in exchange for cleaning it all themselves and you know they had to jump through a lot of hoops but he created that in um, or was part of helping to create that in High Point and now also in Horsley he's on a unit where they have a kitchen um, and so they can buy stuff off the canteen and they don't have to get fed by the prison mm. I mean his, his aim always was not to be fed by the prison mm. and even in places where there wasn't a kitchen because you've got this incredible range of nationalities and ethnicities and different styles of cuisine coming from all around the world in prison um, there were always people like making lentils and kettles and making cooking rice and doing all sorts of sort of kettle cooking things mm. and um, so he, he was he was often somehow eating better food than was on the menu. That even in prison, where you are really stripped of everything and everyone comes in, there is a lot of, it's very equalising prison, it is. But still, there's a big difference between people who are getting supported on the out and people who aren't, and people who aren't are having to get busy inside and make their money inside. And so the fact that the food is so bad is perpetuating crime inside and cycles of violence inside because when push comes to shove, people need to eat and they will do what they have to do to eat. You know, and there's people doing things like haircuts. You'll get a tin of, tin of tuna for a haircut. Everything's, everything's a transaction and mostly it's tin fish is the kind of currency in prison.
you know, when I meet these guys on the wing and they're like, I never eat prison foods. And, you know, there's something kind of cool about that. You know, the fact that they're making all this great stuff in their cells. And I'm like, well, what's happening to your £2.10 a day? Because that's a huge waste. You know, you have £2.10 for your... And the fact that they've chosen, obviously, to cook their own stuff. As I say, if, if I was in prison, <laughs> I'd do the same thing. Have some ownership over it. You know, use your hands, have some creativity and create something that you actually want to eat. But what a waste of money if we've got £2.10 allocated towards feeding that person and they're choosing not to take it. It's going in the bin. Yeah. It's literally that little, that little polystyrene tub of kind of cold chips is being thrown in the bin. My first shift I did in the kitchen, number one, I said, right, what are we cooking today? So we're doing curries for Wednesday. And I was like, it's Monday today. And they said, oh, we, you know, as, as much as we can cook in advance, we cook in advance. You know, which, okay, when you're cooking for 600 people, it makes sense. And I also think there's an element in prison, and I only really learned this from, from working in the kitchen, that if there was an incident, if something went wrong, whatever, the food would still get served because it's already cooked. It kind of made me realise that for the catering manager, you know, the good ones, they do really want it to taste good. But for the majority of catering managers, it's about cooking on mass, getting out on time, getting it in budget. Um, but what happens is you're cooking everything in advance and I was cooking curries and I was leaving the vegetables until they were just like, you know, had a bit of crunch. They were like, no, 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 like cook it for longer, you know, chuck this in half an hour longer. You know, I cooked pasta for like an hour and that went into silver trays that went into the fridge that then was going to go back into the oven, hot trolley. I just can't imagine what that pasta was going to be like at the end of it because actually it was overcooked when I finished with it. That explains a lot to me because Rob's often saying, I don't know how they can get these things to taste this bad. <laughs> Literally, what can you do to a bit of pasta that will make it taste, or a carrot that will make it this bad? And now I know because he never, you know, he doesn't get into the kitchens. Yeah. To, and it's such a shame because there's so many talented people. I, you know, something you get to meet um, when you're a visitor, you get to meet the people who work in the cafe. And they're mostly, mostly just serving you bad coffee and chocolate and crisps and stuff like that as a visitor. The visitor's food is awful. And given this is the only place you get to eat with your your loved one, um, it would be amazing if the visitor's cafe served nice stuff so that you could buy nice stuff for them one day a week and eat a meal together. Or, you know, your kids have been in the car for two hours, so they've just had sweets. And then they get to the to the to the visit and they just got chocolate and then they go home in the car and by that time they're kind of like you know kind of vomiting skittles there's so little genuine education possibility in prison there are a lot of box ticking courses where the government can say yes we're re-educating prisoners and it, none of it qualifies you for anything or is of a level where it's useful on the outside or they're literally just box ticking money wasting exercises but a practical kitchen a, a, a situation where you're responsible every day for feeding six or seven hundred people is such a brilliant learning ground and there's a lot of people this is kind of work they want to do and do well and again you've got all this sort of melting pot of ethnicities you could get some fantastic food and fusion and there's so much opportunity in there why isn't it being used Prison is home to a very diverse population. Some people are in there for very serious crimes and some people are in there on short sentences. But it's important to remember that the prison system is there to rehabilitate all of those individuals and provide opportunities to make that happen. Education and opportunities around cooking and food are really important. 
And Josie's right. You know, there is a huge amount of talent in prisons that's not being utilised. You know, there's incredible chefs. I've met people who used to work in Michelin star restaurants and hotels who've ended up in prison. And there aren't enough opportunities for those skills to be utilised. I mean, the prison population is very diverse. You've got people from ethnic minorities, from all over the country, all over the world, from disadvantaged backgrounds, from very privileged backgrounds, and a huge mix of age ranges as well. Food is one of the only things in life where actually you don't all need to speak the same language. You know, it's practical. You can learn by example. You can teach each other and, and learn from one another and, and bring in your own influences. And that wasn't happening. And and unfortunately as well, in, in prison, you do get people from other nationalities and cultures who are looking at the pies and the food being served. It means nothing to them. They have no connection to it whatsoever. Um, and yet they have their own kind of traditions and cultures and ideas and, and cuisine. And none of that is, is brought in. Um, a lot of, there's, um, there was a big... Rob's always got a lot of Albanian mates. I think our future could be quite interesting. Um, but in in High Point, the Albanian, the, the, the really, really good people, very um, family orientated. Um, at Christmas and New Year, they would do these, at New Year, they would do these extraordinary kind of meals where they would all get together and co-create these things. And of course, they're missing home. They're missing family. They're missing all of those traditions and food is a way to bring that back and to sort of counteract the the homesickness and that kind of thing and also they would sort of make a way to eat together because this is something i think a lot of people don't know because you, you you're used to watching porridge and american kind of prison shows english prisoners don't eat together you don't sit at a table and eat with people or friends and that's a very important part of eating is is how you eat and how you how how it brings you together what food is and food is none of those things in prison it's a thing that you collect in a polystyrene tub cold normally and you take back to your room and you try and put it on your radiator to heat it up and you might sit in your cell with your pad mate or someone may come come in and you might eat together but really it's it, often it's not you just kind of fish out the bits of it that are edible, throw the rest, there's a huge, huge amount of food wastage in prison. It's, it's, it must be appalling. You'll have seen that. Um, and that's it. And then you try and supplement, you're going to supplement with whatever you've managed to buy from the canteen. To be honest, I thought that. Um, I had a, a picture in my mind, like, you know, you said, like porridge of everyone sat around the table together and it just doesn't happen. And the psychological impact of not sharing food in that way and eating it in a cell. Um, eating it, like you say, sitting on your bed next to your toilet. I'm sure you're constantly having to explain this sort of 101 of nutrition to people. Well, I think people, I think, well, it goes back to why do prisoners deserve to eat? well which ridiculously is the question that i've been asked on hundreds of occasions in the last few years and the fact that i have to justify that still frustrates me but also i've come up with the, my own spiel <laughs> as such because i get asked it so i mean i did an interview i'm in the telegraph tomorrow actually and um got interviewed by this guy from the telegraph and he was really really nice and he was just itching to ask me this question i could just hear him on the phone he said oh well um 
you know, obviously Telegraph readers, they, I can imagine a few comments on the article and they might be thinking about, and I said, just say it. I was like, just, just come out and say, it. I know what you're going to say. And he's like, you know, what, why should people care about this? And I said, well, these people are going to come out, you know, they are. And what is the point in fucking up their health and then letting them out? How is that going to impact anyone's lives, including ours? Because I, I think, and it goes back to people seeing prison as, as very separate from their lives. Um, and it's not, you know, there's there's no coincidence that violent crime shooting up in the last five years has, has gone hand in hand with prisons deteriorating and you know, everything is linked and prison food is, is part of it as well. And yeah. You have to ask yourself the essential question, which is what is prison for? And if prison is for punishment, then you need to make the food worse and you need to stop the education possibilities need you to stop families visiting because if what you're trying to do is make it so bad that it's a deterrent then you need to make it a lot worse um the reality is is that prison being bad is not a deterrent prison is bad it destroys lives it destroys people it's horrible it's absolutely horrible you can't imagine how horrible it is until you've spent time there as a prisoner not as someone touring it not as a governor not as a member of staff not as a outside observer as a service user and when you've done that you you know how destructive that is and it doesn't deter people people go back again and again and again because the reason they're coming to prison is not because they don't want to go and they're scared of it the reasons they're coming are much more fundamental um, in terms of mental health, in terms of addiction, in terms of poverty. And these are the drivers to prison. So making it worse has never worked, will never work, can never work. And so prison therefore can't be about punishment. And if it's not about pun punishment, it has to be about re rehabilitation. Because as you said, only, only about 60 people won't ever be released back again. Everyone else will be. How do you want them coming out? And at the moment, the reality is, is that people are coming out so much worse that that is what's driving the violence on the street. That is what it is. The knife crime is not being caused. The answer to knife crime is not locking people up for, for longer. It's the opposite of that. It's locking people up for as short a time as possible and rehabilitating. And having good, you, you can't do anything if you're hungry. You can't do anything if your health is bad. It's just a basic baseline that people need to eat properly. I think the more that we ask ourselves that question, the more we challenge the status quo around prisons, the more we think, okay, well, what could happen if we boosted the nutrition slightly or if we provided more opportunities around cooking that might enable these men to gain employment after release? And ultimately, that's kind of what I'm here for and that's why I set up Food Behind Bars. It's about what could be possible if we think about why prison exists in the first place, which is to rehabilitate people, not to punish them further. Their punishment is having their freedom taken away from them. And it's the prison system's job to ensure that they don't commit crimes again. That when you come in, you first come into a prison and everything's so new, um, it smells different, it feels different, it sounds different. I think one of the, he was very surprised to see people, what people could create in their kettles. And kettles really are you know, fundamentally used for cooking eggs rather than boiling water for tea. I mean, they're used for everything. Um, but there's all sorts of kind of, people can set up incredible things. If you cut the wires off the back of TVs and you put a metal bowl and if you can somehow get hold of a metal bowl, they make sort of little casserole, 
you know, kind of hobs almost off, off kind of live wires. I mean, there's a lot of electrocution going on, that is for sure. There's people are, there are, there are sort of kind of DIY prison cooking injuries, which are mostly unlogged, obviously, because you're not supposed to be doing it. Um, and I remember the first time he told me he'd had carrots and pasta, because that is like an unholy combination in Rob's world. And if you try to give him, like pasta goes with sauces and Italian stuff and, and maybe a, a, a rocket salad. We live in Stoke Newington. I mean, it does not go with carrots. And when he told me he had a side of carrots with pasta, I thought, oh my God, how the mighty have fallen. I've heard stories of people getting George Foreman grills thrown over the top, you know, and all of that stuff. Droned in. Droned in, yeah. George Foreman drones. Um, and they're high, they're high in demand. Um, and this guy who I spoke to, he was like, you know, we're not getting drugs thrown over the wall. Like, we're not getting anything like that. We're literally just getting George Foreman grills. <laughs> that is really good. But it's quite hard to hide a George Foreman grill. I mean, hiding a phone is hard enough. You'd have to hide it inside your washing powder or, you know, whatever else. Phones get hidden, hidden in the walls outside. A George, that's, that's a bit of a lump. <laughs> wouldn't want to put that up your ass, would you? <laughs> You've been listening to episode two, Inside Outside. This is season one of Food Behind Bars, brought to you by Second Window. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more like it, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This show was presented by me, Lucy Vincent, and produced by Second Window. The edit was put together by Taylor Fawcett. Coming up next, episode three, Kessel Cooking. Kettle Cooking. Right, so I reckon we...